Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. It's not a question that I get asked very often, and really, not too many pastors get asked very often. What accomplishment are you most proud of at this point in your career? Honestly, pastors don't really get asked that a lot because at least hopefully pastors don't look at their careers or their ministry in terms of what they can accomplish, but what God can accomplish through them. So recently, when I was asked that question, what accomplishment are you most proud of at this point in your career, I paused. But I paused not because I I didn't know the answer. The answer was, and it is clear. I paused because... (laughs) I'm really proud, and I'm really proud, not, not of something that I've accomplished at all, but I'm really proud of one thing in particular at, at this point in my ministry. It's you. It's, it's all of you. It's each and every one of you. It's the people that I not only get to do life with, but I get to work with to build God's kingdom and, and build this church. It's the people that not only call me their friend, but they also call me their pastor. And I get to be a part of their growing relationship with Jesus. I am proud of you. (laughs) I'm proud of you because this is a group of people who love God's word, who love what God's word has to say, and who love opportunities to know what God's word has to say. And I love that you're a group of people who doesn't just know what God's word has to say to know it, but knows it to be more and more like Jesus. I'm proud of you because you're a group of people who love show and tell. You love showing and telling other people how much Jesus loves you and you sacrifice so much. You sacrifice your time, your money, your free time, and so many other things to make that happen. Yeah, I'm proud of you because this really happened. Uh, I had a group of young people one week and then a group of uh, more experienced people the next week come up to me and say, Pastor Matt, we need to do more in this community to serve this community because we can do more, because we can give more. I'm proud of you because it's a group of people that really does whatever it takes uh, to live all for one, all for one person in your life because you know that there's one who has lived and died for you. You guys know I, I, I do frequently, I talk to other pastors. And when I do, sometimes, not always, but sometimes I hear sad stories. I hear stories about how their ministry and working alongside of God's people is, well, it's actually like pulling teeth instead of a joy. I hear stories about how there are churches that, that give the highest priority to serving the generation that's been there the longest. And that's not wrong, but it, but it is when it comes at the expense of, of giving a priority to reaching out and serving and loving with the love of Jesus the next generation. And I hear stories about that. 
I hear stories uh, about churches that, that really don't care through their actions for the community and their neighbors around them, but just kind of have this fortress mentality instead of that lighthouse mentality. And when I hear those stories, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say because I don't have those problems. And what I should probably do is, is just say nothing. But what I end up doing is I end up boasting. I end up boasting about you. I end up saying about how I, I don't know or understand this problem because I get to be the pastor to a group of people who understands that we have the message of the gospel, the message of God's love, which does not change. And we are tasked to take that to a world which is constantly changing. And so I, I get to work with a group of people who is always forward thinking about how we can do that best. I get to boast about how I have a group of people that I get to serve Jesus with who come and serve early on Sundays and sometimes Fridays and Saturdays and Monday, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays because they understand that their service to the Lord and their service to a church isn't just about them or this day, but it's about something far greater. I boast that I have not just a friendly church that I get to be a part of and call home. But I boast that this is a church where there's real friends. There's real friends who do things for one another that typically just families do one another. I boast about you, and, and I really do. I praise God for you, and I need to tell you it's because I'm proud of you. It's because I'm proud of all of you. That's what I'm most proud of. Can I show you a picture of this church or a picture of what this church looked like three years ago? Today, your, your phone, it, it timestamps when you take these pictures. And so I didn't know this when I went looking for this picture, but it was three years ago today, uh, November 10th, that I, I was standing right here facing about this way, and I took this picture um, of this church. Empty. You know why it was empty? Because to this point, the way church didn't have a home. <laughs> Uh, at that time, the Way Church actually didn't even have a name. And to be quite honest, it was really just a figment of some people's imagination. <laughs> but then something happened. Uh, 33 people sat down, they got together, and they said, we want to start a church. Uh, we want to start a church, a, a community of Christians that is like home. We want that. And then some other people joined in and some more people said, yeah, I, I want to be a part of that action. And do you know how many people are part of that action today? Well, let me put it this way. Over the last two weeks, we've been in this sermon series called Homecoming, where we are celebrating the gifts of having a faith family and, and what God has given us in his word and, and in a family of believers. You want to know how many people have, have come here to celebrate that just in the last two weeks? 73 different people. Not friends, family, and visitors, but 73 people who say, I am a part of that family. Just so if you're doing the math, that's a 120% increase from the first time that this group of people got together. Over the short time that we have gotten together, we have grown from 33 people to 73 people. And I'm not just showing this number to you to boast or brag or to give it to you as some cold, hard statistic. You want to know what 73 represents? It represents 73 people that I'm proud of, that I'm seriously proud of. Because no, not only 
the fact that this church is growing, that it's 73 people whose faith is growing more and more. And that, that is what I'm most proud of at this point in my ministry. It's you. But I'm not satisfied. I'm not satisfied in the slightest. You know why? Because we're not in heaven yet. We're here. And this place is dangerous. The world we live in is not a safe place. $21 billion a year. That's how much money Americans spend on home security systems. That's how much American people send so that their homes feel safe to come home to, that they don't have to worry about the things out there that will harm them. But you do know no amount of money can buy enough cameras, locks, doors, fences, video cameras, security systems to keep us perfectly safe all of the time. You know, there is something out there. It's something out there that's worse than thieves. There's something out there that's worse than bullies. There's something out there that actually is even worse than death. It's judgment day. And with it coming the destruction of everything. And what Satan, what the devil would like more than anything else is to see this destroyed too. What you and I have here. What he would like to see more than anything else is that this church fail miserably and it break apart completely. That's what he'd like to see. And so he tempts us. Your enemy, the devil, it prowls around. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And so he throws temptations into our lives. But the greatest temptation that Christians face, it's, it's not Christian heresy. No, the greatest temptation is, is not great Christian her heresy, but little Christian charity. What do I mean by that? Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is talking about the end times. And there in verse 12, he says, because of the increase of wickedness, the increase of wickedness and evil things, the love of most will grow cold. The greatest temptation for a group like us like me and you, a group of people who gather together around his word, who, who got God's word, who, who love what God's word says, who look to know it more, to grow in God's grace more, who look to study God's word as the sole authority for how we are going to live our lives. The, the greatest temptation is not that just one day it's going to happen like this, where we wake up and we start believing false teachings, Christian heresy, if you will. No, the greatest temptation for us, is a little Christian charity, a lack of love from me to you and, and you to me between one another. It's that we stop showing up and we stop showing the kindness, the compassion, and, and the generosity that, that families are supposed to show to one another. It's that we fail to forgive. Ruth Graham the wife of the famed evangelist, Billy Graham. She wrote a book, and the book has a very fascinating title. It's, in every pew, there's someone with a broken heart. That's what the name of her book is called. And she's right. She's not right. We don't have pews, but we have seats. But in every seat, in every row, there is someone with a broken heart. 
There's someone who is, who is mourning the death of someone they love very dearly. There is someone here who, who's dealing with, with a sin. Maybe it's an addiction and they're struggling to cope. And because of it, their heart hurts and it's breaking. There's someone here who is in a marriage where the love of Christ isn't being demonstrated and, and maybe hasn't been for some time. And their heart is breaking. There's someone here who's, who's been hurt by a church. Maybe it's something that a pastor or this pastor said. Or, or someone who's here who's hurt because someone they thought was their brother and sister in Christ really did something wrong to them. And they feel that pain. And what Satan, what the devil would like more than ever as he finds himself in the fourth quarter, as he finds himself in the end times with time running out and he knows he's lost the game, is he would like to exploit that brokenness. The broken hearts so that this faith family breaks apart. That's his goal. That's what he's doing in our lives. And that's why we say the greatest temptation is perhaps not that there's going to be Christian heresy, although there is that temptation, certainly. But the greatest is a lack of Christian love, just a little bit of unkindness, just a little bit of no grace. It's a temptation that we all struggle with. It's because this world, it isn't safe. You know, this past year, uh, the birth rate, has reached an all-time low, as low as it's ever been in the last four decades. And there's lots of studies that go into why this is, but it's all the, all the same answer. Part of why people are having less kids is because they're afraid. People have reported that they're afraid to bring kids in a world where, where violence is increasing. They're afraid to bring kids into a world where the threat of poverty and hunger is increasing. They're afraid to bring people into the world, children into the world, where there is economic and financial instability. They're afraid to bring kids into the world where there is an increasing amounts of, of negative effects due to climate change. And you can laugh at their reasons. You can discredit their reasons. You can say that the rationale for why they aren't having kids isn't the rationale that you would have, but at least they're acknowledging something true something that's happening that well, Jesus said would happen. We read it in Luke's gospel before. This is what Jesus said. He said to his disciples, to the people that were around him, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines and pestilence in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. Jesus said during the end times, during the last days, you will see violence increase. You will see weird things happen to the climate. There will be earthquakes. There will be signs in the sky. Expect it. Then Jesus was quick to add this. He said, they. Before all this, they. What he said was, before all of this, they will seize you and persecute you. Before any of the signs so often cited and so often gotten excited about, people. People will be a sign of the end times. They will. You'll be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. 
everyone will hate you because of me. Oftentimes, Christians get hyped. (laughs) They get excited talking about the signs of the end times. Wars, rumors of wars. Kingdoms against kingdoms, nations. Things in the sky, earthquakes. What Jesus said is before any of that, people. People who you would think love each other are going to betray each other. They're going to hurt each other. They're going to hate each other. And it's going to be because you love me. He said, that's a sign. That's a sign of the end times. Seems rather hopeless, doesn't it? (laughs) It seems hopeless that (laughs) the devil would use this tool. And he knows that it works. When you face persecution, when you face persecution and trials and and hurt from from people, well, he, he knows that that makes us be at our worst. When you and I get hurt, you know, one of two things happens, right? Either we show up here and we're crabby and we're crippled in our capacity to show love to others. Or when people are hurt by people who are supposed to love them, friends, family, brothers, sisters, they just stop showing up. They just stop showing up to be loved or to love anyone. And either way, Satan wins. Either way, the love of most, it grows cold. It seems hopeless, doesn't it? That you, you, you take this thing, this, this thing that the devil knows is going to get at us, the people, the people in our lives that we love, and, and the fact that like, our love grows cold when we aren't shown love. And you couple it with what Jesus says in his word, that in the end times, like, it's going to happen that people are going to turn against people and they're going to do it because of you and you put them together and it seems like a really, really hopeless situation. Doesn't it? Well, it is actually hopeless. We're not for you. And your faith and your perseverance and the fact that you're here. This is how Paul actually starts off his letter to the Thessalonians. This is what he says. He says, we ought to always thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing and and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. What he is saying is that your love for God is not only growing more and more, and for this, we thank God and we praise God, but you are like a mirror. The love of God that you experience and that you know through the message of the gospel, through your baptisms, you, like a mirror, reflect towards one another. So not only are you growing to know him more, you are growing to show his love more and more with the people that are in your lives. And then he says this, Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials that you are enduring. Sound familiar? Sound like, sound like a church you know? What Jesus, or what Jesus is talking about through inspiring the Apostle Paul is that the love that we experience doesn't just stop here. It starts again when we get to show it to the people in our world, to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to talk in a moment about the specific trials and perseverance of the Thessalonians But can I tell you something? 
a general truth from God's word about suffering, about pain, about trials, things in your life that, that stink, that you endure because you are a Christian. What God's word makes clear is that this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. This is what Paul says to the Thessalonians, that the things that stink, that you're enduring because you're a Christian, it's evidence. It is proof that God loves you. That's the second fill in the blank, is that the proof of God's love, it's in the pain. It's in the pain that you are enduring for being a Christian. It's in the pain that you are enduring for standing up for his name. And there isn't anything more backwards in all the world. There's nothing more contrary to the wisdom of this world. But Paul, in another letter, 1 Corinthians, he tells us that the message of the cross, the message that God sent his son to die on a tree and that a grave proclaims life, that's foolishness. Everything about it, everything about living that life and trusting in that message, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. But that message, the message of the cross, the message of the gospel, it's power to those who are being saved. John mentioned this before. People often believe that if I'm living in this life and I endure bad things, if I endure pain, if I endure a trial or something that stinks in life, it must be because I did something wrong against God. That God is, is punishing me for my sins. Similarly, just the other side of the same coin, people believe that if life is comfortable, if things are going well, it's because God is rewarding me. It is because God loves me and he sees my faithfulness and he's blessing me because of it. But that's not what God's word says. What God's word says is the pain and the suffering and the consequences for your sins, those were taken away. Those were taken away 2,000 years ago on a cross and they are no more. When God sees you, he sees you as his dearly beloved daughter or his dearly beloved child. That is not something that God is going to give you anymore because of Jesus. Instead, the savior who on the cross bore your sins and grief he is your fortress and your strength. He is your fortress in this life. Safety. Safety for a Christian does not have to do with the absence of danger. But with the presence of God, no matter what the danger, no matter what the trial, no matter what the situation. That, that is what a gentleman named Joseph knew. Joseph was a carpenter, not the biblical one, and he grew up in Ireland. And he grew up and he found the love of his life. And the day before he and his wife got married, they went uh, out on a, on, a, on a boating excursion. And it, very tragically, the day before he married his bride, there was a boating accident and she drowned. As Joseph wrestled with what can only be described as really indescribable pain, well, more, more trial, more suffering was added to him because what he was told, what his friends and family told him was that you must be doing something wrong. And if you're not doing something wrong, you have a God who doesn't love you. Therefore, you should stop trusting in him. You should stop believing in him. So in the middle of this pain, Joseph sat down and he wrote a poem. 
wrote a poem that goes like this. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, the peace we often forfeit. Oh, the needless pain we bear. All because we don't carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do your friends despise or hate you? Take it to the Lord in prayer. Jesus knows your every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. This is what he knew. He knew the truth that for Christians, safety is not in the absence of danger, but it is in the presence of God, no matter the danger, no matter the trial, no matter what you are doing, that you have a God who is there for you. The same God that took away your sins, that took away your guilt. He is now your comfort. He is your strength, no matter the storm. I brought it up at the beginning of our of our sermon, that uh, it's a real blessing that right now we have 73 people who just, just in the last two weeks have, have been here because they love the blessings of getting to be a part of a family of believers. But you want to know what number is almost as important, if not more important? It's the number 30. It's the number of people who, in the last two years since our church has opened up, have told me that, that they want to be a part of this faith family. But 30 is the number of people who, for weeks, and for some of them months, aren't here, haven't been here. And yet they're enduring trials on their own. Said we talk about the, the struggles and the persecutions the Thessalonians were dealing with. Do you know what unique persecutions they were facing? What history tells us is that uh, Gentile Christians, so not Jewish people who, who believed the Christian faith, were first persecuted in Thessalonia. What was happening there was the governor of that region was forcing people, forcing them physically to go and worship Caesar Augustus and, and bow down to a, a statue of him or to a, to a statue of the Greek god Venus. And then what he would do to find out who didn't bow down, and this is so sinister, he would go to the grocery store, to the supermarket, and he would have people take wine and other liquids that were sacrificed to these gods, and he would have them sprinkle it over all of the food that was there. And so when Christians would show up to the market and they would see this, and they, and they would go and do their shopping elsewhere, he would mark them. He'd mark them as the Christians and know that they weren't worshiping those gods, and it's in Thessalonia where the very first Christians Gentile Christians were crucified, burned at the stake for their faith. Can you imagine the pressure? Can you imagine the pressure that they would go through uh, when it came time to showing up? It came time to showing up and, and gathering together and worshiping. Can you imagine what they felt as they, as they looked and they saw their friends, their family peoples enduring this? Look, I, I can't compare to that kind of persecution, and we thank God for that. 
we thank God that we live in a place where our, our physical bodies aren't, aren't threatened in that way. And it is happening. It's happening in our world during this time. But think for a second about those 30 people who aren't here. They're enduring the same trials, the same persecution that you and I are, but they're doing it without knowing God, without being in the presence of God, without hearing the gospel. And no, they're not bowing down to gods of Caesar Augustus or Venus, but there's cultural gods that cultural pressures force us to bow down to. And they're not being marked. We aren't being marked in the same way that the Christians in Thessalonia were. But there's uniquely 2019 American ways that Christians are marked and Christians receive rejection and betrayal by people who are to love them, people who you'd expect to love them. But here's, here's the scary part. We're here and we get to know about the gospel. We get to know about God's love. Paul, talking to the Thessalonians, gave this comfort. He said, Christ will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day where he comes to be glorified. Why does all this matter? It's because right now there are people, there are people who are part of our family, our faith family, who aren't in the presence of the Lord right here gathering together around his words and his sacraments. They're not getting to know their God better. They're not getting to hear the gospel more. And this matters because if it goes on and on and on, them not being in the presence of the Lord here in this world, what it's going to result in is an everlasting separation from the presence of the Lord. That's why this matters. My point is this, that faith does not merely exist. Faith has to persist. You have faith, but your faith doesn't exist alone in a vacuum. You have faith in Jesus, and it's constantly being bombarded, being attacked by pressures of this world. Faith has to persist. It has to remain. It has to stand on some kind of a foundation. And that foundation is Christ. The foundation is Christ Jesus, who is revealed in you, who is glorified in you. Not by you, but in you, because he has chose to make your heart his home. You never know who's at the end of their rope. But when we look at the Thessalonians, what we see is that there's a group of people who are at the end of theirs, and yet they just didn't, ah, you know, we'll grin and bear it, see what happens. No, they tied a rope. They tied a knot at the end of their rope, and they held on. They held on to Christ. And you're here. You're, you're here, and you who know that Christ, who hear his gospel, who are in his presence, you, you have a unique calling to go and tie a knot for other people, for other people who are at the end of their rope. Can I, can I tell you something that, that scares me? It's, it's so, it happens often that, that we don't have a Stephen Sally at our church. But, but if we did, this question often comes up. Someone will come to me and they'll say, hey, Pastor Matt, I, I haven't seen Steve and Sally for a while. Are they all right? And, and normally I, I know generally that they're, that they're good, that they're all right, that they'd tell me if something like not good happened to them. 
And so I tell them, yeah, 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 Steve and Sally, they're good. They're all right. And we carry on. You want to know what I wish I'd say? Or what I should say, maybe? I don't say, because I don't, I don't want to offend the people asking. I should say, why, why don't we find out? Why don't we ask them? Why don't we ask them if they're all right? Because I'm talking about people who aren't here, but the reality is that even the people who are here, we're not all right all of the time. There are persecutions, there are trials that each and every one of us are enduring. And who knows if the person that you are sitting in the same row as is at the end of their rope. But what you have in your hands is not just a rope, but you have the everlasting gospel, the eternal gospel that doesn't help us to just survive this life. It helps us thrive and it gives us a life in eternity with Christ. What you have is the unique ability, the unique call to go into people's lives and let them know, let them know that they have that kind of God, a God who is always with them, no matter the danger. Paul finished his letter like this. He said, with this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power, he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's my prayer. That's my prayer for all of us. It's my prayer that, that having been given the grace of our God, having been given the Holy Spirit in your heart by his spirit, we might go out and do this. Go out and do good deeds every desire for goodness, things, things prompted by faith. I just end with the question to consider, what are you doing for, for those who aren't here yet? What are you doing for those who are here, who are here right now? What good deeds prompted by faith? What thing, what good desire showing, showing love? for one another as your faith grows. Seven minutes. Did you know that's all the time it takes for someone to come here, whether they, they always are here or whether they're new here or whether they're coming back here after a long time? Seven minutes is what researchers who, who study this thing called snap judgment and how long it takes someone to, to make a judgment about people, that's how long it takes for them to know whether or not the love of most has grown cold here or if they are loved here, if they're welcomed here. Seven minutes. Seven minutes is what it takes. Seven minutes before anybody has sung a word of a song or, or preached a message or said a word of God's word. That's how long we have to make an impression on people. That's it. So what if, what if we use just two of those minutes? Starting today, what if we use just two of those minutes, 120 seconds after the service to go up to someone and say, hey, my name is Matt and I don't know you or I don't know you well, but I just want you to know that, well, I hope you have the best day. <laughs> I hope you have the best day because Jesus loves you. What if you carried that over and, and starting next week, you took two minutes and two minutes before worship began or two minutes in, in, in the entranceway to find somebody and just tell them that say, oh, that's awkward. I don't, I don't really know them. They don't know me. 
But that's the point. It, it is difficult, but it can make a difference. It could, it could make all the difference. That's what Pam found out. Pam worked as a cashier at Lowe's, Lowe's department store. And if you stood in Pam's line as you went to go check out, you, you might think that Pam had a case of the Mondays. But it wasn't Monday, and it wasn't just a, a bad time at work uh, professionally. It was a bad time personally, too. Pam wasn't very happy, and someone came through a line, and they, they were just picking out a few small items, and they noticed this about Pam. And, and as this, this woman paid for her items and, and went to walk away, she stopped, noticed the name tag, Oh, and said that line I just said to you before. Pam, I hope you have the best day because Jesus loves you. For the first time that day, and really in a while, Pam smiled and said, thank you. And when Pam went home from work, she was still glowing. She was still smiling because of that small exchange that somebody made. And Pam sat down at her kitchen table. She ripped up a letter. She ripped up a letter that her friends and family would have seen after Pam took her life. Because that morning, Pam planned to do that. She, pan she planned to do that if someone didn't convince her that she was loved. <laughs> and someone convinced her of that. The reason Pam's story is known because Pam went looking for that lady. <laughs> she went looking at the local churches there and she went looking for that woman, but she never found that woman. But she did find a place that she called home. She found a church. <laughs> and if that can happen at Lowe's, <laughs> I think it could happen at a place like this <laughs> with people like this. To someone just like that, our brother, our friend Jesus has given us a place, a place that is safe from every danger, even the ones that come with the end times. The place is called the church. My friends, be the church. Be that place. And whether it's someone who is here today or, or someone who is not here yet, tell them, welcome home. Amen.